<laughs> well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be here with you this morning. Who would have thought they will know we are Christians by our love would really get everybody excited this morning. Man, I remember when that song boomed. I think I was three. It was crazy. Holy cow. <laughs> it is good to be here with you this morning. If you're joining us online, thanks for being here as well. My name is Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It is my honor to be here with you. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so grateful that you're here. I'll be in the lobby after the service. Would love to greet you and get to meet you this morning. Uh, sometimes, I mean, obviously work in a church, so Sundays are a work day for me, but sometimes I get Sundays off, and I'm a glutton for punishment because on those days, my wife loves when I say, let's go visit another church. Let's see what's going on. And uh, <clears throat> uh, we visited a church in New York City recently that we uh, follow, and uh, I left there a little bit disturbed, but also reinvigorated by a quote that uh, the pastor read. And I know what you're thinking, bummer, we wish we could hear it. Guess what? You're in luck. I took a picture of it so I could bring it back here for you all this morning. And so here's the quote that, that uh, I'm referencing. It says, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are if your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not radically obedient. Your church is not good. Cheering you up this morning with Neil Cole. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced the wind getting knocked out of you, but that's practically how I felt when I read this for the first time. But as I've sat with it longer, I'm actually a little bit encouraged by it because I think it just gives me a really clear vision for what it means to be a faithful church member and a faithful church leader. Because at the end of the day, ultimately, each of our churches, our church too, will be evaluated by one thing, its disciples. Our church is only as good as her disciples. It doesn't matter how good our praise, preaching, property, or programs are. If our disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not radically obedient, our church isn't good. And if this is true, if our church is going to be judged on our discipleship to Jesus and our ability to disciple others, then we better have the same working definition of what we're talking about. Because when we talk about discipleship, the word can kind of be a catch-all term. But when I use it and when Neil Cole uses it, it seems to mean apprenticeship. Apprenticeship, which is a word that's kind of lost its luster in our day. But an apprentice was somebody who was hired on with very little to no skill, and they were assigned to a master tradesman. And their job was to listen to that person, to be around that person, or like John Mark Comer says, to be with them, to become like them, and to do the work that they do. And in our productive, more corporate world, we've switched out this word apprenticeship with another one. And that word is internship. And internship is not the same thing. Some of you have experienced that if you've done an internship. Get the boss's coffee. We don't have to pay you. And you'll have a good name on your resume when you graduate. But the goal of our church is not only to have you around as an intern. Our goal is to help you to be an apprentice to help you apprentice under Jesus, learning all that he has to offer to carry, you th to carry yourself through this life and to live as people of God's kingdom. And to do that, we have to invite Jesus in and watch what he does, learn from him, and then start doing the things that he does. 
I mean, this quote really is just getting at the heart of what Jesus says in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I tell you? So Pastor Ricky asked me this morning if I was good to preach and close out this door series. And he said, how's January 28th? I said, great, I'll handle it. It's free on my calendar. He said, good, your passage is revelation. And before I could say, hold on, Pastor, why don't you take that one? He was out the door. (laughs) This guy hits all the fastballs and leaves all the off-speed pitches for me to hit. Goodness gracious. (laughs) But before we begin, if you're anything like me, when you hear the book title Revelation, your chest starts to tighten a little bit. This is such, was such an anxiety-inducing book for me for so many years, and I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard that take this book way out of context, and as I've gotten older, I've really spent a lot of time trying to seek to understand this book. And while I definitely don't have time to go through the whole book today, uh, I do want to provide you with this overarching truth, that the word revelation means unveiling. It means stripping back the veil that over a given idea or person or topic to make known the truth of whatever is underneath that veil. And in Revelation 1, the writer John comes out and tells us what the, what the subject of the unveiling is. He says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, fully recognized in the world and among his people. That is what is being revealed in this book. It's with this understanding, it's with this that we pursue Christ this morning, not the anxiety of end time events. And so as we wrap up this door series, we are going to be in the book of Revelation. Thank you, Pastor Ricky. Uh, We're going to be in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And after the writer John centers his thesis on Jesus Christ in chapter 1, he begins to deliver a message to seven different churches Uh, in the ancient world, and he provides various commendations or good things and various condemnations, bad things, to each of them. The last church he addresses is the church at Laodicea. Here's the message that the prophet John writes to them on behalf of Jesus. Starting in verse 14, he says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and keep your shame uh, uh, and keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see i reprove and discipline those whom i love be earnest therefore and repent listen i'm standing at the door knocking if you hear my voice and open the door i will come in to you and w- and eat with you and you with me to the one who conquers, I will give a place on, with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Man, Cole, do you have anything positive to say this morning? <laughs> no, have you seen outside? It's disgusting out there. <laughs> Though this is a difficult passage to read, I think that there is, a li- is way more to it that we need to dig into. 
You see, Laodicea is a church that is situated in one of the wealthiest areas of the ancient world. They're so wealthy that an earthquake uh, strikes in 60 CE and the Roman equivalent of FEMA shows up and says, how can we help? The response crew shows up on the scene, right? They say, how can we help? And Laodicea goes, no thanks, we're good. We don't need your help. We'll rebuild this thing on our own. Go help somebody else. So they just find themselves in a place of extreme wealth and affluence. And what an analogy that the writer knows that they would be familiar with a local hot spring that seeps into their water supply from time to time. These people know all about spitting out water that's lukewarm. And typically we think of it as either being hot, good, or cold, bad, but that doesn't really work with this analogy because it's the lukewarm water that makes Jesus want to spit them out. This is not about good or bad. It's about how they've mixed their church with wealth and comfort that's all around them. But Jesus says, you've really created something here, that you think you can be both in this world and also in the kingdom of God. Michael J. Gorman, his book, Reading Revelation Responsibly, says it this way about the lukewarmness. He says, the problem with the Laodicean church is that it is neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, which is so disgusting that Jesus is about to spit or vomit. Lukewarmness is not an ancient metaphor for indifference. The text, therefore, does not present a spectrum with two extremes, hot for Jesus and cold against Jesus in a wishy-washy middle. Rather, it presents two opposing points, the first, which is illustrated with two images, hot and cold water. Both of these are pleasing and beneficial, while lukewarm water is precisely the opposite, disgusting to taste and not beneficial. Lukewarm here means so prosperous and supposedly self-sufficient as to be completely out of fellowship with Jesus. This is not a middle-of-the-road church, but the most accommodating, not only participating with the status quo when necessary to survive, but fully embracing the lifestyle and values of the elite and powerful. Goodness gracious, if this is what we're talking about, if this is the problem at the church in Laodicea, then we have something that we can learn. The church in America, absolutely, but New Ridge Fellowship, this is a warning that we should look to heed. Because it's almost as if this warning from John is an ancient way of saying, ultimately, each church will be evaluated on one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, preaching programs or property are if your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not radically obedient, then your church is not good. You see, quickly, churches can be co-opted by anything else other than the invitation to open the door and allow Jesus to be the master that we apprentice under. Our discipleship to Jesus matters for this very simple fact that we're all being discipled by someone or something, and you have to choose to open that door only to Jesus. But in our world today, people are being discipled by advertisers who promise that overpriced clothes, items, and consistent spending and hoarding of expensive things is going to be what brings peace to our life. 2024 is yet another year where some of us will memorize the words of the news anchor or politician that we agree with most, but will not be able to recite from memory a single Bible verse, let alone dedicate ourselves to seeking the face of God through Scripture at the expense of turning off the debates. 
John goes on to critique some of the words the church at Laodicea was sharing. He says, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. He says, you think you're blessed, but really you're bloated and unhealthy. Come on, open the door. There's still time to let Jesus in to commune with you, but you gotta kick the idols out. You gotta stop being lukewarm. But it's not easy. There are plenty of things knocking on our door and quickly we can mix the Jesus stuff with those other idols and become a church that anyone, especially Jesus, would spit out. This is the warning that John is giving to the church. He says you started down a path that you think is helping you, but you gotta stop because eventually it's gonna lead to the death of the church. It's gonna keep you from Jesus. I mean, imagine this letter arriving at New Ridge. Are we so untouched by the world's problems and that we've kept Jesus out so we don't have to deal with the pain that so many regularly face because it's easier to be blind than to see? Are you still carrying bitterness and withholding forgiveness for how you were treated growing up that you can't let Jesus transform your life and change how you see the good in everyone that you interact with? Are you so obsessed with material possession that the invitation to the rich young ruler for Jesus to sell everything you have and give it to the poor would only cause you to focus on your lack instead of how freeing following Jesus could be? Are you so obsessed with your outward appearance that if Jesus were to ask you about your soul, you'd run and hide for how naked that area of your life is? We say we're rich, we've prospered, we need nothing, but we're blind, wretched, poor, and naked. As a church, we are going to be judged by one thing, and that's our discipleship to Jesus and our ability to disciple others. And if that's the case, then we need this year a new radical commitment to the way of Jesus and listening to the Holy Spirit. The message of Revelation 3 is not, why don't you pick to be hot or cold, hot to go fight against the world or cold to push the world away. No, the message is this. Listen, church, you can give up trying to be accommodating to power and ideas passed from this world and trying to be like everything you see on TV and social media and trying to fit in with the rest of culture if you would simply stop pretending to know me and answer the door that I've been knocking on. I can show you what it looks like to commune with me. When you close the door to me, don't pretend that I'm not there. I'm not present. These are tough words to hear this morning, tough words to deliver. But I think we can see how it's true. So how do we learn from Laodicea? How can we do something to ensure that we never lose or excuse the presence of Jesus? It's very clear. We do one thing. We must do one, things as a, one thing as a church and one thing as a person who follows Jesus, and that is that we open the door to Jesus and allow him into our lives in deeper and deeper ways. We have to close the door to everything else. We have to open the door to Jesus and only Jesus, and if we do that, a lot can change. I've been on this journey for 10 years or so now, and though I wasn't I don't consider myself a Christian as of the day I was born. I've, I've been a Christian most of my life, and so that's only about half the time that I have, uh, I've been following Jesus. But I, I remember about six months into the first church that I went to, 
or worked at. I walked into the senior pastor's office and I said, listen, if it's just the fact that I used to be in the seats and now I'm on the stage and I'm the one teaching where I used to be the one sitting there, I've got it, I've figured it out. If that's all that there is to this whole thing, I'm done. Like this is, <laughs> I don't wanna do this. I can make more money doing something else. And he pulled a little book off of his shelf and the book's called The Imitation of Christ. And I've been on this journey for about 10 years now that the only thing I'm worried about is becoming more like Jesus, spending more time with him, learning what he did so that I can do the things that Jesus did. The way this book starts is, if you wanna see clearly and avoid blindness of heart, it is Jesus' virtues you must imitate. Make it your aim to meditate on the life of Jesus Christ. Those who fully understand Christ's words must labor to make their lives conform to his. This is what it's about. Because when we really invite Jesus in and watch what he does, when we go to become like him, oh, how our lives can change. Oh, how the church can change, how the world can change if we would just pay attention to Jesus. When I do that, I'm convicted once and for all that I cannot cast stones at others because I'm a sinner, but I can help others experience his love and his life. I'm no longer supposed to care what people think of me because if Jesus spends his time with sinners so much so that the religious people get angry, so should I. If you know anything about me, this is one of the most difficult ones. I'm supposed to spend more time in prayer so that I stop letting anxiety run my thoughts. Still working on that one, my wife can tell you that. <laughs> what I do to the least in society, the widow, the poor, the outcast, the hurting, I do that to Jesus. You better believe our actions towards others have consequences. The fruits of the spirit that I'm trying to grow in are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, which means there's a lot of stuff in my life that needs rooted out and a lot of stuff in your life that needs rooted out too. Hate, sadness, war, frustration, cruelty, evil, dishonesty, violence, and overindulgence. And these are just six ways that we can disciple under Jesus. There's many, many more. So as we close out this series, I'd like to see our church invite Jesus into our midst this year and beyond, not just pay him lip service, but that we would actually invite him here to lead us, that we would apprentice under Jesus. Micah, one of the Old Testament prophets, gives a warning to God's people. He says, you're gonna be wiped out. And here's the thing that you can do to get back on track. He says, he's told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? When we allow Jesus into our lives and into our churches, we can be totally, totally transformed. And so if I put you to sleep with my sermon this morning, it's time to wake up and shake out the cobwebs because I need your help. If you wanna be known, church, as the congregation became so mixed with the world around us that we are not known to the world by our radical love through Jesus Christ. If you want to be known as the white glove country club church that 
caters to anything that adds to our bottom line, or if you want to be known as the church whose disciples are passive, needy, and consumeristic, then just stay in your seats. But if you want to be known as a church that is known by the heat of Christian love that radiates from this place, the cold water that quenches the thirst of those who enter here looking for healing and begging for us to meet their needs in the name of Jesus? And do you want to be a church that stands like a city on a hill, a place where you can seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God? Do you want to be known as the church that heeded the warning, opened the door, and became radically obedient to the way of Jesus? If that's you, then if you're able, would you stand with me right now? And if you're unable, would you raise your hands? Can we just give God some praise this morning? Jesus, breathe your spirit upon us. Lord, we hear you knocking. Not only on the door to our church, but the doors to our lives. Lord, we ask that the commitment that these people make today, that your people make today, that you would help them as they start this journey to grow ever closer to you, that we'd stop putting other things in the place that only you belong in. And if there's idols in our lives, we'd kick them out. If there's apathy in our life, that we would move to action. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and there's no way that we could do this without you. It's in your name we pray, amen. You made a commitment today. Easy ways you can follow up on this commitment out in the lobby. There are a bunch of different life groups every day of the week, multiple different times. No excuse. Easy way to get involved. Different ages. Anything you need. There's an easy way. You can start your day with five minutes of reading scripture. You can start your day with five minutes of prayer. It's super easy to start this journey. You start in the book of Mark because it's really, really short and really, really fast. <laughs> then you move to Matthew. Then you move to Luke. Then you move to John. Then you restart it after that. All you got to do is focus on the words that Jesus says. That's a good place to start. As you do so, as you go from this place and as you commit today, to open the door to Jesus and close the other doors. Would you know that God's grace and God's peace go with you now and always until we see each other again. If you need prayer at the end of the service, we have a prayer room in the back. We'd love to pray with you as you make this commitment today or if you have any other needs. We're gonna close out with this final song and after that, you're free to go. God bless you.